Hi, welcome to One Take Wonder with Hot Weird Girl. I'm the hot weird girl in question, Alexia, and this is my very first episode. I think I said welcome back, but that's not true. This is the very first episode, and I'm so excited to be here. Just before we jump into things, why I hate Sheer Seven, Sprinkle Sprinkle, and everything I think is wrong with that woman, I just want to thank you so, so, so much for tuning in. If you like this video, please send it to one friend. Please rank it five stars on Spotify and Apple, and please reach out to me on all of my social media platforms, which are linked below um, or somewhere in this podcast format. Uh, on social media, I will always respond because I'm a little bit chronically online. But one fact that I wanted to share about the podcast name is I have never done a TikTok in more than one take. Like I literally get on, record, and upload it. And that's why like 80% of my videos are when I'm slugging in my pajamas or post-run or walk from my neighborhood and really sweaty because that's when my ideas come. I turn the camera on and I start recording. And so I thought it'd be fun to do the same with a podcast because three minutes isn't really enough to talk about what I want to talk about. And I think it's the most authentic. And also for some reason, I think I'm the most well-articulated when I'm not stressing about what I'm going to say via script and I'm just talking to you like we're on FaceTime. So let's get into it. Let's talk about everything wrong with Shira Seven. Um, if I can do one thing in my lifetime, it will be to personally take down all the femininity coaches and make them pay for what they're platforming to women. And by listening to this podcast, you're helping me do that. So again, thank you so much. And let's get started. Oh, and every time I hear the phrase sprinkle, sprinkle, I get like chills up my spine in the worst way. You may not know much about the woman who hides behind a low-quality webcam and says, sprinkle, sprinkle, but you've definitely seen some of her viral clips. Um, in order to conduct this experiment, I not only looked at my For You page, I looked at my sister's For You pages, and I had my friends screen record their For You pages and send it to me. The only thing that we had in common of this sample group was that we're all young women under 27. And Shira Seven is on all of them in some capacity, whether it's giving dating advice about how to value yourself, giving dating advice to date old men, or simply saying, I'll bring nothing to the table, baby. Okay, she doesn't actually sound like that, but I'm only really good at Australian accents and sometimes British. So yeah, I, I can't really deliver on that one. But what you need to understand going into this is at her core, Shira is a woman who married an old man for middle-class stability and spends her days crafting and live streaming horrendous dating advice to young, impressionable women. Why anyone thinks that a woman vlogging from a low-quality webcam in a house with low ceilings can give you advice to bag a man with money is a testament to the failure of American public education and not a testament to how good her advice is. Because fundamentally, I don't think she's actually giving you a path to wealth. And even if she was, I'm not sure that that's the path that I would take. Actually, I know that that's not a path that I would recommend to anyone that I love. So who is this woman? Letitia Padua, better known by her YouTube handle, SheRaw7, is a longtime content creator. 
Her oldest videos are nine years old, and she's been active on YouTube ever since. Her earliest videos are very reminiscent of that time. She's informal, funny, often uploading anywhere between seven to 20 minutes of content that really don't have a plot or any sort of structure. She's incredibly spiritual, which is evident from her first video. Um, you know, she's very involved in rituals, tarot, manifestation, which I think tracks with her current content when you really dive into it. It also made me laugh that she's an avid Michael Jackson fan. And if you grew up with like Michael Jackson fans around you, you know what I'm talking about. She's going into self-described esoteric theories about why she has her son, um, you know, is he still dead? Is he alive? The spiritual impact of his music. I counted about 20 videos on Michael Jackson in three years alone, which I think is incredible because they're all her longest videos. I'm actually surprised that I don't hear her talking about it now. The last thing that I noticed about her content was that she has many, and this is her own words, esoteric theories about the universe. Clearly, this is a woman who's very interested in the investigation of how our world works, and naturally, gender comes into play with that. Her 19th video clearly espouses the brand that we all associate with Letitia. Manipulate your beauty in order to achieve what you want. Her 20th video, Women Are Naturally Attracted to Men with Money, features a hot bikini model in front of a background of cash. So clearly, if nothing else, Letitia has always been committed to this belief system. Her commitment to this belief system is what differentiates her from most of the other women that occupy the femininity, how to bag a rich man space, because I truly think the majority of them are grifters. I'm not sure how much I buy their messaging. For example, one of the most prominent and well-known content creators who makes level up dream girl content also sold Forex four to five years ago, which can't really be a secret because it's still up on her Twitter and something that she referenced somewhat recently when you consider internet history. So it's hard for me to believe that someone who's always been involved in multi-level marketing and various scams truly from the bottom of their heart believes in the divine masculine and the divine feminine as much as they believe it's a great way to make money off of a desperate niche audience. And we'll get into that desperation a little later. But Letitia, I really think this is a woman who believes the way this is the world works. Nothing about her earliest messaging is particularly different from the message that she has now. If anything, she just becomes a little more inventive with her approach. If you're somewhat familiar with her content, then you've heard her pick Misha, Barbara the Builder, the little sketches that she likes to do behind a green screen. So she's becoming funnier and more creative, but that core essential message that you should manipulate and use men for money and that it's a viable path, that doesn't really change. And that's sort of the problem. As much as I think she's not approaching this advice from a place of ill will or negativity towards her audience, it's still incredibly 
harmful. Let's just get into some facts about wealth before we continue so that you really have the framework to understand what's going on here. First, most people never marry someone out of their socioeconomic class, and this is the most true the more elevated you become in American society. So, for example, those who are born into upper middle class families tend to marry and socialize with those from upper middle class families. Similarly, those from very wealthy backgrounds, even backgrounds that we would consider the 1%, very rarely venture outside of their social group for marriage. And when they do, it's typically through connectors like employment or graduate school. So something that, you know, really just, I can't even say disappointed, broke my heart, but also made me laugh was I saw a post that said places to meet a rich man. And it was being a waitress, working at a private school. And I think something to do with equestrian sports. No man who sees you as the help is going to pick you at his wife. He may sleep with you. He may give you a few bags, but ultimately your access to his wealth is very much denied on the basis of the fact that you don't come from that class. And this is one of those fundamental truths that often gets left out of femininity content. And I really see Shira never dressing at all because then it would be impossible to sell a fantasy. You cannot convince your audience that they're all going to bag a rich man if none of the girls or very few of the girls in your audience come from wealthy means themselves. And I would actually argue that this content is the most appealing to women who don't come from means. But again, more on that later. Other facts about wealth that is just poorly peddled, to put it nicely, is that men don't mind gold diggers. Now, Shira Seven will tell you that a confident masculine man isn't going to care that you're a gold digger because he wants to provide for you. And I would offer that it's something completely different. A man with means isn't going to care that you're a gold digger because he absolutely knows how to protect his gold. There are lawyers, accountants, financial advisors, people with job titles you may not even know exist, whose entire day in and day out profession is guarding and fiercely protecting the wealth of their clients. When we are talking about people who have amassed massive amounts of wealth, the type of people that Shira and other femininity gurus encourage you to go after, we're talking about people who more than likely, like 98% of the time, have these what we'll call wealth guards. People who are in charge of making sure that their investments grow, their money stay long, and more importantly, that some pretty young thing doesn't come along and take it. The Anna Nicole Smith idea that people have that you can marry a rich older man and that he'll die and leave you everything is false. I mean, Anna Nicole Smith didn't even get that much in the end because his surviving children fought him for it. And that can be a podcast episode for another day. But ultimately, what I'm trying to tell you is that there is really no way that you can marry a rich man and get his riches. You might have access to his lifestyle because you're with him. You might get beautiful bags, live in a beautiful home, but trust and believe that what happens to the thousands of women who divorce or are left by their rich partners will happen to you. They tend to fall several social classes below the means that they were living. So ultimately, it's not really a threat 
for you, even if you are the youngest, hottest, the most that he wants to take his money because his money is so fiercely protected and well-guarded. And I have never seen her address this in a way that's actually competent. For example, um, in a live stream, I saw people pose the question that, you know, what do you do if he wants a prenup? And she's like, oh, well, bat your eyelashes at him and, you know, tell him you don't want to sign that. Okay, that might work on him. That's not going to work on his attorney. And as an attorney myself, I'm promising you that there are many completely legal safeguards one can put in place to guard their money from their partner. So it's getting women to believe in this fantasy, this suspension of disbelief that allows Shira to operate. But nothing that I said is a particular secret. It's a tale as old as time. For every one successful story about a gold digger, how many do you know about women that were left broke, penniless, and embarrassed? A lot. So why is she able to propagate these lies, and how is she able to get so popular? First, I think it's worth acknowledging that she's likely employing a social media strategy that was popularized by Andrew Tate. Tate knew that his views were controversial and that he risked um, getting banned on certain platforms. So what he did was encourage his followers to spread his message without attaching his exact account. And by using horrible, racist, sexist, I mean, incredibly sexist, um, homophobic content as sound bites, he could both appeal to his audience and evoke outrage, all while not doing it from accounts that come from himself. Now, I'm not saying that Shira is particularly bigoted in any way. What I am saying is that she's definitely employed her followers through accounts like Feminine Clips, um, Feminine TV, accounts like that to take the most interesting, most likely to go viral clips from her live stream and her YouTube videos and propagate them on a platform that she's ultimately not attached to. And um, I'm sorry, Leticia is smart. She knows to say sprinkle, sprinkle after almost every single one of her viral worthy clips because she wants you to associate that specific phrase with her. What she's doing is a really smart marketing strategy. And if you look at things like Social Blade and other metrics, you can tell that her popularity sort of waxed and waned because what she had previously occupied was the Black femininity space, which was a space that primarily catered to Black American women who were looking to level up their lives and become quote unquote more feminine. Now, if you want some instant education on that topic, I think Julesy has some great videos um, and I will definitely be making those. But in the meantime, what you need to know about that space is it was very niche. And through TikTok, Shira has been able to brand herself beyond that and take advantage of this cultural zeitgeist of a real longing for young women to get some straightforward answers about dating. And so I think there are four strategies that she has um, that contribute to her popularity. So the first is she poses herself as an authority figure on love and dating by giving common sense dating advice. Second, she manipulates the economic anxieties of young women today. Three, she manipulates the domestic anxieties of young women today, and we'll get into that distinction. And four, ultimately, 
she's most appealing to women who are ignorant about the realities of wealth. So first, back to the point that she poses herself as an authority figure by giving common sense dating advice. Unfortunately, because of the women or because of the way women are socialized today, it's not actually common sense for a lot of girls and young women to say, hey, don't run yourself ragged over a man who couldn't give a single flying fuck about you. Um, And while that definitely says something about the depressing realities of how we're socialized and how we're taught to think about romantic relationships, someone coming forward and saying that you should decenter men at all costs, that you shouldn't accept poor behavior just because you don't want to be in the bed alone at life or at night, that you are a valuable, beautiful woman who absolutely does not need a man who contributes nothing to your life or worse, who takes away from your vibrancy and your gifts to be with you, that it's better to be single than to be miserable and partnered, that there's no shame in being single so long as you have standards to really maintain the relationship when you come along for it. And that is very extremely appealing. You also have to consider this context where we are as young women. I would say that Millennials and Gen Z are really stepping away from the roles that their mothers and their grandmothers were forced into by society. We have more autonomy over our lives. We're becoming more highly educated than our male peers. And we're finally beginning to assert ourselves and really say, no, we can set the tone for what we want. And so in this way, by giving just common sense dating advice, she's already posited herself as an authority figure. When I first encountered her content and I heard her say, listen, you shouldn't spend any time with a man who has ghosted you because he doesn't like you. And that's shameful. Don't act like that. I was like, yeah, that is good advice. I think other women need to hear that because unfortunately, that's not something that everyone has been exposed to. Then getting into the second and third points, she really knows how to appeal to those anxieties that we're experiencing. Economists disagree about the fact that we're in a recession, but regardless of any expert's opinion, the average American is suffering economically. The price of everything is skyrocketing due to inflation and corporate greed, while wages remain stagnant and worse, We're approaching a time of mass layoffs. It's very scary to watch the companies that used to be the gold standard, Google, Twitter, PayPal, indeed, lay off their staff in such callous and cold manner because what does it mean for the rest of us? What does it mean that these highly talented professionals are in the workplace? How am I going to make my money? How am I going to achieve my goals? And third, she appeals to the anxieties about the reality of domestic labor. Straight women in relationships, when they're living with their male partner, perform the majority of all domestic duties. When children are involved, that domestic load is doubled and they perform the the majority of child-rearing duties. So we have women who are going to work and coming home and taking on and entirely different job through domestic labor and childcare while their male partners sit back. And on top of this, women have been told to consider 50-50 relationships. So some women are coming home in a house where they pay 50% of the bills and doing 100% of the domestic labor.
And I think it's this point specifically, the 50-50 dusty conversation that Shira really shines. I know women who have experienced the situation, it's backbreaking, it's miserable. It is a fundamentally fucked up thing to split the check with your boyfriend and then to know that when you go back to your house, your boyfriend isn't going to lift a finger to clean anything, that you have to remind him like a child. You're seething with resentment over this man who is essentially working you for everything that you have. He's eating your meals, not saying thank you, and not putting a dish away. That is frustrating. And so what's Shira's solution? Well, don't settle for that behavior. Again, going back by giving common sense dating advice. Well, if your boyfriend is treating you like a pack mule bang made mommy at home, dump him and don't settle for a man who would dare ask you to go 50-50. But this is where Shira's content takes a turn from what I would consider common sense. I would say to find a partner who doesn't value just your domestic labor, but sees it as an equal task to be taken on between the two of you. Shira would say, you're not going to be able to find a man that does that. So find a man who pays 100% of the bills, which sounds appealing because of the economic anxieties today. It is a very comforting fantasy to believe that there is a rich man coming in on a white horse to pay your credit card debt or to big and carry, to buy you a beautiful house, to buy you these beautiful clothes, to supply you a life you would have otherwise struggled for. And on top of it, you'll no longer be faced with the realities of domestic labor because, oh, you'll just get a man rich enough to hire a maid. So now... Shira Seven establishes this basic framework. There are really only two kinds of men. There are the broke dusties who will do all the things that you've hated in a relationship past. He exploited you. He used your money. He used your emotional, intellectual, and domestic labor. He didn't appreciate you. And worse, he had the audacity to not even pay for it. So you didn't walk away from that relationship with gifts and bags. You walked away with that relationship with less money in your bank account. And by all means, he got off better than you. And then there is the provider man, a rich man who you can get very easily. I think one of her most popular clips on TikTok is about getting a guy to take you shopping. And the way that she tells it, it's as easy as not letting go of his hand, brushing your boobs up against his chest and saying, you make me feel so good. You make me feel so happy. Oh, I love this store. Can we go in? You try on some clothes for him. You dance around, act a little stupid, act a little foolish, but never really let go of his hand. Pretend that you want to bring him into the dressing room. Flirt and give the impression that you're going to give away your goods and that'll trick him into thinking that buying your clothes is all his idea that you can manipulate men who have guards around their money just by batting an eyelash and being beautiful. And this is that fourth tenet of how she's able to build her platform. She appeals to women who are ignorant about the realities of wealth. As I said earlier in the podcast, men are very rarely fooled by gold diggers. It's just that they don't care because they know that you don't have access to their wealth. So what does it matter if he buys you a dress or a bag or shoes or even 
pays a big bill like a car note, a mortgage, a blah, 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 blah. If he really has money like that, that's not going to be sweat off of his back. And he knows that you're not going to touch it. What she also exploits is that these rich men probably aren't going for you for reasons that are going to last long term. If a man is seeking you out to be a trophy wife, you cannot, under patriarchal norms, no matter how beautiful you are, be a trophy forever. There's no way that a man who believes in patriarchal norms like aging and a woman's value being lost the older that she gets and no longer being a prize to show off is going to keep you around and continue to spoil you when you're 50. And at that point, when you haven't invested any money into your career or yourself or made any hobbies or real lucrative income outside of him, what will happen to you? But that's not the fantasy that she's selling. It, it can't sell the fantasy. That would be a nightmare. So she continues to give these examples of all the ways that men can be dusties and all the ways that you can get into rich men. And this is where we start to see the inconsistencies. So remember when I said that she gives common sense dating advice, like decentering yourself from men and not caring? Yeah, that advice can't really go through if you're solely depending on a man to pay your bills. And make no mistake, as someone who has watched hours of her content and even checked out that little book that she published, that is what she's advocating for. There's one video in particular where she's reading from her book and she says, well, what do I do when a man asks me why I don't have a job? Because she advocates that you won't find your best man when he sees you in your quote, masculine by working, that you should stay unemployed and simply wait for your Prince Charming. Now, this completely ignores the reality that when you are broke, you will start getting desperate for money, that your standards that may exist when you have a job and food on the table start getting lower and lower and lower when you realize you haven't paid your rent for the month and that you're close to being evicted. The things that you'll accept, the things that you'll do, they're very different, but that's not in that beautiful pink little book. It's simply when a man asks me why I don't have a job, I tell him that I'm waiting for a man to provide for it. And clearly, he's not the man to provide for me. And then she recommends blinking your eyes at him, and that'll make him feel inferior. At best, you're going to attract a predator who salivates at the idea of cutting you off financially. At worst, that man's going to say she's a bum and absolutely leave you. But again, that's about appealing to women who are ignorant about the realities of wealth. A lot of her strategies get you caught up in desperate solutions. So, and this is paraphrasing her own words, there are not a lot of attractive, rich men out there who are going to be appreciative of you. They're probably going to be older. Remember when I took shots at her older husband? She's telling young, beautiful women to get with older men who are super appreciative, to take a newspaper to your local diner buffet and read it in the hopes that some old geezer is impressed that a young, pretty woman is reading. I get this, like I'm actually looking at the advice that she gave and she seriously suggested that young women um, should take newspapers to diners because it'll impress old guys. That's not very decenter yourself of men or from men for you. That's not very independent. I can do battle by myself. In fact, she'd probably think that I'm a pick me Yisha 
for suggesting that you should be independent. Um, and I know that she would make fun of me for being a lawyer because I've seen clips and something about lawyers in particular really gets her ire. I wonder if it has to do with the fact that she got divorced before. I don't know. I can't say for sure. That's not even an allegation. That's just me musing and being a little shady. <laughs> what Shira will never tell you is that following this blueprint will get you fucked in the worst possible way. That refusing to get a job to help yourself, to wait for this mythological man to come save you can only expose you to the worst situations. Our grandmothers did not fight for higher wages and job recognition, and it's really important that you understand that unless you are the descendant of a rich white woman, um, I mean, and I mean very rich, upper class white woman, that your grandmother likely worked in some capacity. And if you think, oh, well, she didn't have a traditional office job, you should go call her and ask her what she did for money. It was definitely something that was undervalued. Seamstress, laundress, domestic labor, sharecropping, farming, all of those things, you name it, they were sometimes primarily, but you know, performed by women and they were always undervalued and our grandmothers did not fight for the right to get into lucrative paying jobs, to get into the workforce, to be able to divorce our grandpas because they were bored at home. They did it because having money in your pocket is the best way to protect yourself if your man decides to do foul on you. And there's really other way to put it than if he decides to do a foul on you. Foul can mean many things. It can mean domestic violence. It can mean cheating on you. It can me being irresponsible with money and now you and your kids have nowhere to stay. You're going to a shelter because he told you not to look at the bills and now your home is being foreclosed. It protects you from all sorts of situations and ultimately what Shira does is just part of this larger pattern of convincing women that someone is coming to save you and no one is. All the change that you want for yourself, you are going to have to give to to yourself. I'm not saying that you need to do it completely alone. I'm saying to cultivate a support system. But if you think that a man who only values you for your looks, your body, how you make him feel per Shira's advice is going to be the one to pull you out of your misery and your economic anxieties, your anxieties about being exploited, the desire you have to be treated with love and respect, you are wrong. And she doesn't care because I think by viewing her life, she's happy about the choices that she made. And when I said that she lives in a house with low ceilings, I really meant that as a slur. She is doing all this for middle-class peen. Do you know how crazy that is? You know that you could live in the exact same house that she lives in by getting a good corporate job and just working for 10 years? What sounds worse, not being able to argue with a man who can cut your lights off or having a job? This kind of segues me into what I want to talk about into my second podcast episode, and that's the failure of women to appreciate how hard motherhood and specifically being a stay-at-home mom is because I see a lot of women rebut what I say and what I've been continuously saying on my platforms as yeah, but working is so hard and staying home is easier. Maybe staying at home if you're not in a caretaking position, but if you have children, if you are responsible for providing them their um, 
early developmental education, that is absolutely a hard task. People put their kids in preschools for other reasons besides the fact that they're working. It's because they may not feel equipped to provide that early childhood education that is absolutely integral to a child's long-term success and well-being. And the idea that teaching your kid the ABCs teaching them how to read, the building blocks of phonics, emotional intelligence, how to make friends is an easy task. It's such an F you to early childhood educators. And, you know, people get away with it because of gender essentialism and the idea that because most women, not all, can grow, birth, and feed babies with our body that we're somehow born with this innate sense of being able to teach our child how to use scissors properly, motor control, recognizing colors and shapes. And I don't think that's true. And so I get really annoyed whenever I hear women say, oh, it would just be easier to stay at home. You must not know how hard being a stay-at-home mom is. And I want to bring some light and clarity to that issue in the next podcast, which will be uploaded Wednesday, May 3rd. So I hope you stick around for that. Um, I hope you really enjoyed this podcast episode. If you did, please just share it with one friend. Please rank it five stars on Spotify and Apple Music. And I'm working on uploading this to all platforms where podcasts can be streamed. I love you so much for making it to the end of the video. Seriously, if you're still here, if you like One Take Wonder, if you like me borderline rambling for, what is it, 40 minutes, um, then stick around because I've got a lot in tune. And next Sunday, I'll be uploading my next YouTube video that more broadly encompasses the femininity sphere and everything I think is wrong with it. All right. Um, Have fun. Oh, and by the way, I will also be discussing the Met Gala, but I should really wrap this up. All right. Love you. Bye.